Well, every blessing to you all. Welcome back to my open-air pulpit. I want to continue, if I may, looking at the triune nature of the one true eternal God. Proverbs chapter 18, look at verse 13, if you will. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and shame unto him. And yet time after time people will not only leave comments on our videos without watching the entire video all the way through, but when people come out of the Roman Catholic Church, not always, but many times, they quite rightly will reevaluate whatever they've been taught. And we certainly salute uh, such people for doing just that. But many times they decide to throw out the Trinity, the triune nature of the one true God. And many times when people do just that, they also decide to throw out the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and the deity of the Holy Ghost. He or she that answereth a matter before he heareth it, like, I know what they're going to say, so I will just post such and such a comment. It is folly and shame unto him. So let me say this, if I may, that if you are of the belief that you know everything, or if you are determined to put uh, those of us which have been saved for a long time, right, without even hearing us out, you are a fool. Uh, in simple terms, you are a fool. It is folly to you. My advice to you would be to take the time, watch our videos all the way through, and then feel free to leave comments, if you will. What do you have to fear? Are you scared? Are you worried that perhaps you've made a mistake, an error? The number one question that we get asked on the street uh, from those that have left the Church of Rome is, do you guys believe in the Trinity? Is it really scriptural? I can't tell you how many times we've had people come up to us trying to work out the triune nature of the almighty, everlasting God. You can't understand the Trinity. Going back to what I said last week, to try and comprehend it, to try and really analyse it will almost certainly result in such a person losing their mind. And to reject it risks such a person losing his or her soul. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. So take the time. Check out what you are hearing and seeing, not just for ministries such as ours, but others. But I have been aware of this for nearly 17 years now that when people come out of organized religion their lives are in a bit of a mess because they have to now do their own research and quite rightly they start with the nature of god can we trust that he's three but one is he one but three can we trust that or not can we really trust the idea that he was bodily assumed from the dead or was he done so in a spiritual sense? Can we really be sure that he was virgin born? He was sinless. Can we really be sure of the miracles or the inerrancy of scripture? And so many people get into a real spin over these issues. Just for the record, and again, one more time, without me sounding like a broken record, the first term or the first person to publicly use the term Trinity was Tertullian, late 2nd century. Nicaea, the Council of Nicaea, 325, didn't meet to decide about the Trinity. They met to decide about the nature 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he very God? Is he very man? Is he Jehovah God or is he a created being? And that's where the Jehovah's Witnesses come along. They are Arianists. They believe this, that Jesus Christ is just a man. And maybe I'll discuss that more as we go along. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Go to Genesis chapter 1. So my friends, take the time to view our videos or read articles. Or even more importantly, do your own research. Don't just click onto a channel, subscribe to it and follow it blindly. If you do that, you've simply gone from one system to another. Genesis chapter 1, so let's look at the creation accounts. Last week we looked at the everlasting God, Father, Son and Spirit, enjoying three attributes. Omnipotence, omniscience and omnipresent. All-powerful, everywhere at the same time and able to read people's thoughts. Clearly demonstrating that they are all Jehovah God, of course. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light in the beginning, beginning of time. God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Meaning quite simply that, first of all, the Word, meaning the Logos, the Alpha and the Omega, is obviously eternal, going back to Micah 5.2. But not only is he with God, picturing the Father, he's face to face with the Father, going back to the book of Exodus, where Moses sees the Father, or quite likely a Theophany or a Christophany. He sees deity face to face, it's a wonderful picture of intimacy. So the Word is God. The Word is with the Father, like face to face. And the Word is God. But here we're looking at creation. Earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, verse 3, let there be light. And there was light. So verse 1, you've got the Father, clearly. Verse 2, you have these spirits being the Holy Ghost, of course, and verse 3, you have the Word. The Lord Jesus Christ would say he was the light of the world. So Genesis 1, verses, uh, or chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3 deal with the creation account. No evolution, no theistic evolution. You've got the triune God creating the world by themselves, out of nothing. Going back to here, O Israel... The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and might. Of course, you go to Mark chapter 12, the wording is slightly different. But Jesus Christ would quote Deuteronomy 6, 4. And he would say over in uh, Mark chapter 10, from memory, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, being God. And people say, what is he trying to do? There? Well, in essence, he's trying to get that particular gentleman to stop thinking that people generally are good and be of the correct understanding how only God is good. And of course, Jesus Christ is Almighty God, but not God the Father. In the beginning, God, triune God, created the heaven and the earth. The 
solar system, of course. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Holy Ghost hovered, moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. <coughs> Go to Colossians chapter 1. Later on in the uh, book of Genesis, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Let us make man in our image. And people say, is he speaking to himself? Going back to the modalist position, or the Pentecostal oneness position. Others say, is he speaking to the angels? Well, that won't work, because Hebrews chapter 1 speaks about how all of the angels are to worship the sun. Thy throne, O sun, is forever. A scepter of righteousness, so on and so forth. It's clear to me from Genesis 1.26 that Father, Son and Spirit are speaking to themselves. And there are many conversations in Scripture recorded concerning the Father and the Son especially speaking to themselves. Isaiah gives you seven. Let us make man in our image, so on and so forth. But Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Look at verse 16. In fact, look at verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and he is before all things, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Another wonderful verse or two to demonstrate the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, being Jesus of course, and the Word was with God, being the Father of course, and the Word being Jesus was God. In plainer words, the Word and the Father were face to face. Moses sees the Father face to face, or again, more likely, to be uh, more consistent with all the scripture, he saw Christophany, a pre-incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, that in all things, that in all things he might have the preeminence. In other words, he is the most important person, because everything was created for him and by him. He is the, he is the uh, firstborn <coughs> excuse me, from the dead, not in reference to being the first person to come up from the dead, because you have others that came up from the dead, like Lazarus, like the boy from Nain, and a handful of those uh, characters from the Old Testament, but in reference to the first person to overcome death, to taste death for every man. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and have made peace to the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So you can't miss it, can you? Genesis 1, verses 1, 2, and 3 deal with Father, Son, and Spirit creating the universe. Colossians chapter 1, 16, 17, 18, 19, going into verse 20. The context now concerns the Son. 
<clears throat> and yet, unfortunately, people, many times when they read these passages, are unable to harmonize them. They can't comprehend what is going on, and therefore they fall into several traps. If they are of the oneness position, the oneness Pentecostal position, which is an extreme uh, denomination to be a part of, it's really a cult, if the truth were known, they force Father, Son and Spirit to be the same person. And they say that the Father is Jesus, Jesus is Spirit, and the Spirit is Father. Of course, is blasphemy. You have three, at least three pronouns, which we'll look at later today. Or the other view is the modalist position. How God is three parts, not three persons. And that is also a heretical position. For by him were all things created, verse 16, that are in heaven. That would include angels, of course. And that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Revelation chapter 4 says everything was created for the glory of God. And he is before all things. Before Abraham was, I am. And by him all things consist. Muhammad couldn't get anywhere near this. And he is the head of the body of the church, not the Pope. And he, Jesus, the Son, is the head of the body of the church. Not the Archbishop of Canterbury, not you or me. Who is the beginning? The firstborn from the dead. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord. Lord God Almighty from Revelation chapter 1, Revelation 22. That in all things he may or might have the preeminence. In other words, it's all about preeminence, like importance, like power, like prestige. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. <coughs> Meaning quite simply that the Father decided that Jesus Christ would be the representation, the representative, the ambassador, the apostle of apostles to represent the triune God. Again, if you saw the Lord Jesus Christ face to face, you saw Father, Son and Spirit in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was representing Father, Son and Spirit. It's like this. If you are an ambassador, you are sent overseas. And Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ from 2 Corinthians. And when you go overseas, if you are a British ambassador especially, you take a letter from the Queen because the Queen is head of state. And when you arrive in your host country, you meet the head of that country and you say, these are my credentials, Mr. President or uh, Mr. Prime Minister or what have you. And that head of state will obviously check out your credentials to make sure you've come from London, that you come via the Foreign Office, that you have the uh, imprimatur, if you will, the certificate, the authenticity from the Foreign Secretary via the Queen, being the Crown, of course. And that country knows that you are representing Great Britain. But you're not the Queen. You're not the Prime Minister. You are representing London. And therefore Jesus Christ, who of course is God Almighty, but he's not God the Father. He's not God the Holy Ghost. In him all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells. Also from Colossians uh, chapter 2. And having made peace to the blood of his cross, not the stake, which the JWs would have you believe. And having made peace, like forgiveness of sins, 
through the blood, his precious blood, going back to what I said last week from Acts chapter 20, how God Almighty has purchased the church with his own blood, picturing God the Son, of course, not God the Father, and having made peace to the blood of his cross, no works involved, no baptism, no speaking in tongues, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Going back to the Old Testament saints, they believed on a promise, and the promise that was given to them is the person that we believe on today. So they were saved by their faith in the one that gave the promise. The one that gave the promise back in the Old Testament is the one that died for our sins. 30 AD. You see, it's faith from beginning to end. And therefore, the Old Testament greats that were saved, or forgiven, is a better term, based on what the promise giver would do for them, went into the ground, Luke 16, and awaited for the promise giver to die for the sins of the world. And once he died for the sins of the world, he goes into the ground with a thief on the cross, and he takes captivity back to glory with him. Go to Job 26. If you speak to Muslims, and I've spoken to a lot over the years, they all have one thing in common, uh, post or on top of their hatred for the Jews. And every Muslim, if they're honest with themselves, hates the Jews and hates uh, Israel. If they have one thing in common, it would be their hatred for the Trinity. Uh, Job 26, Job uh, 26, and they all like to team up and attack the triune nature of the one true God. And I've already spoken about how modalists and oneness are shamefully, shamefully teaming up with Muslims and even Jews, I should also add, to attack the Trinity. Of course, the Jews, just for the record, were, yes, monotheist, uh, of the belief there was only one God. Uh, but for the Muslims, they will team up with Jews, like I say, to attack the Trinity and others. And they like to quote, again, Genesis 1:26, let us make man in our own image. And they say this, well, who was Almighty God speaking to? And you really got one of three views. The first view would be he's speaking to the angels, which of course is impossible. Hebrews chapter one already makes the case how all of the angels were told to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. They were created in time. They're not eternal creatures. The second view is, is that God Almighty is speaking to Father, Son, and Spirit, which, of course, is the Trinitarian position. But the third view is what we call uh, the plurality of majesty. A bit of a mouthful, but the term plurality of majesty is a term which didn't really take off until the 13th century AD. Again, going back to my analogy of the ambassador, he or she goes overseas and they have a meeting with the head of state. And what normally happens is this. Well, welcome to our country, Mr. Ambassador or Madam Ambassador. We are very pleased to have you here. Or we hope your stay will be a very blessed one or a very uh, productive one. Welcome to our country, so on and so forth. They are speaking in the sense of plurality, in the sense of the third person. And monarchs still do that today, incidentally. The Queen of England will give a talk and she'll say, we're very pleased to be here. We're very pleased to have been invited or we're very pleased to be a part of this or we are very pleased 
to be a part of that. That is the plurality of majesty. In other words, the monarch is speaking in the sense of, or in the person, or with the uh, terminology of the third person. Jesus Christ would speak in the person of the th in the uh, position of the third person. Paul would also speak from the standpoints of the third person. We, not me, or we, not I, and they say this, well God, back in Genesis 1.26, is doing just that. We, in the sense of the plurality of majesty, will make man in our image. But that won't work, because again, that doesn't really begin until 1300 AD. But Muslims have to overthrow the Trinitarian position, you see. The oneness people have to overthrow the Trinitarian position. Modalists have to overthrow the Trinitarian position. Job 26. Job 26. Look at verse 13, if you will. By his Spirit he hath garnished the heavens. His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. So you see the serpent, being the devil of course, was formed. The serpent is not eternal. Jesus Christ is eternal. The Word of God is eternal. From beginning to the end, the first and the last, from eternity past into eternity future. But you can't say that about the angels. By his Spirit, Holy Ghost, he hath garnished the heavens. Going back to Genesis chapter 1. His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. Jesus Christ is also the right hand of God. Go to Galatians chapter 1. So the plurality of majesty doesn't really work. Like I say, it's a rather modern uh, invention or a modern uh, custom. Going back to, we welcome you to our kingdom. We welcome you to the palace, so on and so forth. But God Almighty from Genesis chapter 1 isn't speaking from the standpoint of the plurality of majesty. When Jesus Christ would say, we know what we know, from John chapter 3, he's speaking about his Father and himself. And also at times the Holy Ghost. Je uh, Galatians chapter 1, look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So again, you've got several things going on here, but first of all you've got God the Father being cited as resurrecting the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, and verse 4, who gave himself for our sins concerning the Son of God, not God the Father, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. John the Baptist would say, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Peter would say uh, that you were to save yourselves from this untoward, wicked and perverse generation. In essence, meaning to repent, appropriate the atonement, take the gift which has been given to you. You can't save yourselves, of course according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the Father is going to raise the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Go to John chapter 2. 
The Father creates the universe. The Son creates the universe. The Spirit creates the universe. John chapter 2, the Father resurrects the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. John chapter 2, look at verse 19. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was his temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? Completely missed the point. But he spake of the temple of his body. This is a, a reoccurring theme from the Gospel of John. He speaks uh, in spiritual terms or concerning spiritual issues like the bread of life, like eat my flesh, drink my blood. Uh, and here he's speaking about his body uh, being raised after three days. And they thought he was referring to the temple. Well, of course, you would say he was the Lord of the temple and he would also say he was the Lord of the Sabbath. And that's another uh, issue which throws a lot of people. People get saved. They come out of the Catholic Church. Praise the Lord for that. They start to do their own research and they come across the SDA online. And the SDA are Sabbath worshippers, quite honestly. They idolise the Sabbath and they are very anti-Sunday worship. They hate the idea of Christians meeting the first day of the week, which of course is a Sunday, not a Saturday. And they start to do their research and they come across these quotes online. And I've read them many times over the years where the Church of Rome will say, well, we moved, well, we switched the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. And some of those quotes are spurious. Some of them may not be. And they say, there you are, you see, we can't worship on a Sunday. It is pagan. Going back to, we can't receive the Trinity position because it's pagan. Well, hold on a minute. Christ comes up the first day of the week, being a Sunday. The apostles met every Sunday to break bread. The apostles had a collection every Sunday, the first day of the week. Who cares what took place in the third or the fourth century? Who cares if the Church of Rome made Monday their day of worship? Who cares? Going back to Augustine, he comes up with the term original sin. Who cares? Are you born in a fallen state? Is this a fallen world? It either is or it isn't. Who cares if Tertullian came up with the term trinity, meaning triunity, three and one? Who cares if you came up with that terminology? Is it correct? How many gods are there? What would the Lord Jesus Christ say? You call me Master and Lord, and so I am. Acts chapter 5. A couple of Christians are caught lying to the Apostle Peter. And he says to them, you haven't lied to men, meaning himself and the others. You've lied to God. And Acts chapter 5 deals with the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost. He said, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. And he goes on to say, the Holy Ghost is, of course, God. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But I can't understand it, they say. I can't understand how God is three and also one. You weren't told to understand it. You were told to believe it. Romans chapter 1 again, how the invisible things of him are clearly seen. Clearly seen. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. If you are born again, let me say this to you, if you are born again, you know that God is God, number one, and according to the Apostle Paul, you know that the Godhead is the Godhead. 
And you say, well, I don't believe it. Well, then you've been deceived, quite simply. It's like a man who's living with a woman who's not his wife. And people go to him and they say, listen, brother such and such, you and sister such and such need to either get married or quit living together. And he closes his eyes like a fool and says, well, I can't, well, I don't agree with what you're saying. That's your own personal opinion. You're a legalist. He is in denial. And she is in denial as well. Then to the Jews, 40 and 6 years was his temple in building, and they were still building it, incidentally, around this time. And wilt thou rear it up in three days? Well, of course he would do. It goes down in 70 AD, and it stays destroyed <coughs> until the Jews go back into Israel, 1948. That, of course, also feeds into the Tabernacle of David, which I won't speak about this morning. But he spake of the temple of his body. And yet they still couldn't understand it. They didn't want to comprehend it. And this goes back into John chapter 6, which I won't speak about this morning, how the Jews deliberately misinterpreted him, hated the idea of somebody from their own ranks calling himself the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah. I go to... Uh, Romans 11. <clears throat> Romans 11. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, blessed Trinity. People say, is this really a subject worth debating, discuss uh, discussing? Is this really something to take a stand for? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you are born again, don't you love the Lord? Don't you love the scripture? Don't you want to stand for truth and righteousness? Don't you want to defend the nature of Almighty God? 8.11 But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. So, a quick recap. Father, Son and Spirit create the universe. Father, Son and Spirit are eternal, everywhere at the same time, are all-powerful and can read your thoughts. Father, Son and Spirit would resurrect the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. People say, I still can't understand it. You weren't told to understand it. You can't understand the Trinity. You can't understand how Jesus Christ is God and man. You can't understand how a man who died 2,000 years ago, before you even imagined, even comprehended, but you weren't even around. Your great, 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 great grandparents weren't even around. You can't understand that. How a sinless man, being the Word of God, co-eternal, all-powerful with the one true God, came to earth and died on a Roman cross outside of Jerusalem, and somehow... If you put your faith in that, you will live forever in heaven. You can't understand that. You weren't told to. You were told to humble yourself like a, like a little child. Otherwise you wouldn't enter into the kingdom of God. Revelation chapter 16. Now this is an interesting uh, part of the New Testament. And people say this, they say, well, the Trinity is a pagan invention. And they say original sin is a pagan invention and they say the idea of the Bible being 
preserved perfectly in the English language is also a pagan <coughs> invention. And these people commit spiritual suicide. Spiritual suicide. 1613. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Beast, false prophet, dragon. Unholy trinity. Now ask yourself this. How is it possible that you call yourself a Bible believer, and you may be, I don't know, and you say you love the Lord, and you may do, I don't know, and then turn around and deny the triune nature of the one true eternal God. On top of that, how can it be possible that you call yourself a Bible believer and a Bible reader and yet you can't see this? And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, number one, and out of the mouth of the beast, number two, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, number three. This is clearly a satanic attack on the triune nature of the God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Not three parts of this unholy trinity, three literal people, three literal members, three personalities. The Father is a personality, the Son is a personality, the Spirit is a personality. He will come and he will lead you into all areas of truth. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. And again, you can grieve the Holy Ghost. You can quench the Holy Ghost. You can lie, Acts chapter 5, to the Holy Ghost. And here John has just told you that one day down the line, the unholy trinity are going to arrive on this world, on this earth, and they are obviously mirroring and mocking the triune nature of Almighty God. And obviously, the dragon is a satanic counterfeit of the Father, the beast of the Son, and the false prophets of the Holy Ghost. Go to Exodus chapter 20. In around two or three weeks' time, by the grace of God, I will be arriving at Exodus chapter 20, and if you don't know, I'm currently working my way through the book of Exodus. As of last Sunday, I've done, I think, 49 weeks, and I think I've got to around 28 and a half hours of material. This will be the longest study that I've yet to do, and I'm looking forward to get to the Ten Commandments, and I may spend, perhaps, we will see maybe 10 weeks looking at the Ten Commandments in great detail. The last video that I made, I called the video Rebuking Radical Anti-Trinitarian God-Haters. Because if you are a rejecter, perpetually and intentionally, concerning the triune nature of Almighty God, then according to this piece of scripture, you hate God. 20 verse 1, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, 
or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You've got three guys in the Old Testament. You've got Solomon, Aaron, and Saul. And they all fell foul of the Lord on multiple occasions, but they all had one thing in common. And that one thing that I believe ruined them the most was the sin of idolatry. Aaron messed up at least three occasions from memory, and his biggest mistake was when he had the golden calf when he got involved with that wicked incident, and uh, Moses would challenge him, and he would blame the people, like when Adam and Eve were challenged, they blamed the devil, and then Adam blamed Eve. And of course, that's also idolatry from the book of Genesis. And the Lord expelled Adam and Eve from the garden. But Aaron and Solomon, and also Saul, were guilty of idolatry. Saul got into a spin. Saul got into a meltdown. He was panicking. He couldn't reach the Lord. And on one occasion he went to the witch <coughs> at Endor, the clairvoyant. And he said, bring me up, Samuel. And of course she did just that. And Samuel starts to chastise him. And soon afterwards Saul is dead and he pays for his sin of idolatry false worship, a rejection of complete faith and trust and focus and acceptance in the one true God. Aaron again would be guilty of the uh, golden calf incident <coughs> and he would also say this is Jehovah which brought you out of the land of Egypt and he's holding this golden calf in his hand, idolatry and of course he is killed prematurely, doesn't go into the promised land. And of course we all know about uh, Solomon having not only many wives, but many gods. Go to Proverbs chapter 30. So if you are intentionally rejecting the triune nature of the Lord, and you won't be corrected, you won't repent, you won't uh, come back to your senses, then I'm going to suggest this, that Number one, you must obviously hate God. And number two, you obviously had a fellowship with the Lord, going back to the man living with a woman. If you love her, marry her, right? And also I'm going to suggest this, that you are now guilty of idolatry. You are blaspheming the nature of God. Time after time, he has revealed himself as one eternal being, but found as three persons. And the New Testament... Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, and also Revelation, chapter 19, for memory, condemns idolatry. And yes, a saved person can be guilty of idolatry. Saul, Aaron, and Samuel, make that Solomon, excuse me, were all guilty. Uh, and because they wouldn't repent, they died prematurely. And for the Christian, who becomes guilty of idolatry, they lose their millennial inheritance. Proverbs 13, 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, 
but a companion of fools shall be destroyed in a spiritual sense. Spiritual suicide. Going back to, can we really trust the Trinity? It's a Catholic doctrine, right? No, it isn't. Can we really trust original sin? It's a Catholic doctrine, isn't it? No, it isn't. And people say this, well, didn't the Church of Rome decide which books were going to the New Testament? Didn't they say there are, there are 27 books for the New Testament? And by those people's definition, I guess we should reject the New Testament, right? Because the Catholic Church told us that the New Testament consisted of 27 books. The logic doesn't work. These people have lost their minds. Listen, Carthage told you that the New Testament would consist of 27 books. But we already knew that 200 years before that. Athanasius, in his letter, lists 27 books. By the end of the second century, the church leaders, almost call them church fathers, <laughs> but you can call them church fathers as long as you clarify that they're not our spiritual fathers, only we only have one father. But the church leaders quoted the New Testament 87,000 times, apart from maybe four or five verses from the New Testament. So even if we were, even if we were to disregard the Council of Carthage, which I don't particularly care for, we still have the quotes from the Church Fathers by the end of the second century. So obviously to me, Carthage, rightly or wrongly, whoever those guys were, were simply reaffirming what we already knew, what the world already knew, that the New Testament consists of 27 books. Council of Nicaea, 325, was simply and publicly affirming that Jesus Christ is God Almighty, which the, the early church had always, had always known and believed. And there's one guy called Papias, who was an associate of Polycarp, a friend of the Apostle John. And Papias, around 125 AD, I might be slightly wrong, this is all off the top of my head, but <laughs> Papias, from memory, in one of his letters, wrote how Jesus Christ was God Almighty. But I suggest we shouldn't accept that either, right? Because Papias may have been a Catholic. Listen, there was no Catholic Church until the 4th century. Now, I'm not going to say this morning that everything that Tertullian said was correct, or that Polycarp said was correct, or Papias, or Athanasius, or Nicaea, or Carthage. Obviously not. I've got issues with those men and those councils. But when they spoke the truth, which we can check from Scripture, only a fool would throw out the baby with the bathwater. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, obviously, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed, like hanging around with heretics, blasphemers, idolaters. Go to Romans chapter 16. So I think there are several things that are probably going on when it comes to why people perpetually reject the triune nature of the one true eternal God, it's obvious to me that they are deceived, clearly, but sometimes people want to be deceived. Sometimes people want to be victims as well. Uh, Romans chapter 16, Romans chapter 16, Look at verse 17, if you will. 
Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. You've already been taught this, incidentally. And I'll explain that more in a few moments' time. The apostles spent time with the early church. A lot of time. We call that apologetics, incidentally. Hermeneutics. And the apostles spent a lot of time with the early community to help them deal with heretics, blasphemers, people that would deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. 1 John chapter 4 calls such a person an antichrist. Mark them which cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. The doctrine. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. For doctrine. For doctrine. That's why the word of God was written. For doctrine. If you have your doctrine all back to front, you are a spiritual mess. And you will destroy yourself in a spiritual sense and possibly in a literal sense. 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches to see the hearts of the simple. This is brutal. Absolutely brutal. If you want to reject the nature of God, go for it. It's a free country, at least to some extent anyway. If you want to continue to be a modalist or oneness or team up with Muslims and Jews and attack the triune nature of the one true God, be my guest. But the word of God says you are a companion of fools, and as a result, you'll be destroyed. And also, you, you have not listened to the argument. You've got finger, finger happy. Can I use that term? Finger happy. You start to type and text. Stop typing, stop texting, and start listening. Some of you people need to be rebuked. 1 John chapter 2. Now, again, I said this last week. If you are a new Christian, I'm not giving you a hard time. If you are new to the faith, I'm not uh, grilling you, but I am grilling people who should know better, like the cults. And again, if you don't hold to the Trinity, you are in the camp of the cults. When I think of church history, in fact, when I go back to maybe the last 500 years, only one name comes to my mind concerning somebody who is thought of as a well-known Christian, in fact, two names, actually, two names that come to my mind when it comes to people who think or who are offered as being Christians, Isaac Newton, anti-Trinitarian, and also, interestingly enough, Martin Luther King was also anti-Trinitarian and was also a denier of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every other great were all Trinitarian. Every translator of the King James Bible, whether Puritan or Armenian, were all Trinitarian. Did you know that? They were all Trinitarian. So, if you call yourself a King James Bible believer, 
and you attack the Trinity, you're out of step with your own book. Because the men that translated this from Greek, Aramaic and Hebrew were all Trinitarian. And I challenge anybody to disprove that. 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 20. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. You have an anointing from the Holy One. Go back to the Old Testament, look it up again in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not Mary, according to the false church of Rome. And you know all things. I've not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. So if you are a modalist, if you teach that Jesus is God the Father, or God the Son is another part of the Godhead, according to this, you are an Antichrist. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Two personal masculine pronouns. The Son is a person. The Father is a person. Modalism makes no sense. The oneness position makes no sense. But 20 again, but ye have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. He is Antichrist. That denieth the Father and the Son. Also this is in reference to the Jews. Who of course would reject. The one true God. And 21 again. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth. But because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. So here's the thing. You don't actually need me at the open air pulpit. If you are born again, you don't need anybody to actually teach you from the Bible. Because if you are born again, this is in your heart. If you are born again, Father, Son and Spirit lives inside of you. And I'll discuss that next time. You don't need yours truly up here. You don't even need the Bible because Almighty God lives inside of you. You have the living word living inside of you. Of course, the Bible, we love it, we believe it, we preach it, we cherish it. We use it to grow in our faith, to show others about the one true God. But when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to who we are in the sights of the Lord, we don't need the Bible. We don't need Bible teachers or preachers. Yes, the Lord will give you such. Paul tells, uh, Paul tells you that from 1 Corinthians 12 and uh, Ephesians chapter 4 to help you, to grow you, to encourage you. But that's from the standpoint of already being regenerated, already being saved. Whosoever denieth the Son, like the one is people, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Go to chapter 5, please. Chapter 5. Look at verse 7, if you will. For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, 
and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. One in the sense of unity, not one in the sense of singleness. Going back to Deuteronomy 6, 4, going back to Genesis 2, 22, 23, 24, or thereabouts. Man meets woman, they come together, and they're now one in the sights of the Lord, concerning their unity. Not in the sense of being one literal person, obviously not. There's still a man there, and there's still a woman there. And there are three that bear witness in earth. The spirits, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. So the spirit, in reference to the Holy Ghost, the water, probably in reference to Christ's baptism, and the blood, obviously in reference to his death. And these three agree in one. And also, verse 9, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. And that's the problem, isn't it? People are following men. Anti-Trinitarians, anti-King James people. For this is a witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He that believeth on the Son of God hath a witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. So it's repeated time after time after time after time. The Father, person number, number one, sent the Son, person number two. The Son, person number two, sent the Spirit, person number three. And there are three that bear witness on earth, verse eight, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. Seven, three that bear record in heaven, Father, uh, Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So I don't know what else to say when it comes to dealing with the Blessed Trinity. Uh, if you're not a Trinitarian, then you are either a modalist, or a oneness, or a tritheist. A tritheist, which is what the JWs are. In essence, they believe in, they believe in two gods. The big God being Jehovah God and the little God being Jesus Christ. Muslims continue to attack Trinitarians deliberately and intentionally and they accuse us of being tritheists, we are not. And they accuse us of being polytheists and we are not. The term polytheist means the belief in many gods, like the Mormons. We're not polytheists, we believe in one God. We're not tritheists, we believe in one God. And that one God consists of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Jump down to verse 26. We are still in 1 John chapter 2. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you. But... As the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So one final time, if you are a Bible-believing Christian, John tells you that you don't need someone to teach you these things concerning the nature of God. 
because you know that God is God. And I've shown you over what the last couple of videos now how the triune nature works and exists, but even those two videos weren't needed. If you are born again, of course. But what happens? People become paranoid. People become blinded by the hatred, their inbred hatred concerning false religions. And we should all hate false religions, whether it's Islam or Catholicism or Hinduism or the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Oneness Pentecostals, so on and so forth. But don't allow yourself to be permanently blinded. The Apostle Paul hated Christianity, hated the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was going around Jerusalem, dragging people out of their homes. He saw Stephen murdered. He was filled with rage. And John 16 says that people like Paul thought they were doing God a service. John Calvin was filled with anger. And he got into a huge spat with Servetus, a Michael Servetus, an anti-Trinitarian, incidentally, went to Geneva thinking that all was well. Let's move my lead. Between him and John Calvin, only to be arrested, interrogated, and slowly murdered. And John Calvin was so filled with anger hatred towards Servetus's uh, anti-Trinitarian beliefs and also Servetus would reject that Christ is eternal which we'll look at next time and Calvin lost the plot and poor old Servetus although he was wrong on the nature of God was slowly burnt to death and Paul was killing people like I say and until the Lord stepped into the life of the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 9, Paul was a dangerous man. He was a maniac before the Lord saved him. These things, 26, have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. He has to warn his beloved church about heretics. Paul mentions this over in 1 Corinthians, which I'll look at next time. How those of us which are grounded, mature in a faith, have to speak up in defense of the nature of the Lord and against heretics and heresies. But of course, at the same time, it's almost paradoxical. Those that are truly saved know that God is God. This is obviously aimed at those that are really weak and young in the faith. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you. You don't need me here. You don't need any brother in the Lord to teach you anything when it comes to the nature of God. But we do so to reinforce what the scripture says. Because many Christians are weak and easily tossed to and fro. Some are always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, going back to John 
16, when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all areas of truth. And his truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So allow me to say this, and I will close. And by the grace of God, it's not as cold today as it was last time, but it's still pretty cold. Just for the record, it's around 5 degrees Celsius. God Almighty saves a man or a woman. God Almighty, Father, Son and Spirit comes to live inside such a person. Let us make man in our own image. Not the plurality of majesty, that doesn't work. Not three parts of Almighty God, that doesn't work. Not the oneness position, how Jesus is the Father and also the Spirit, that does not work. And Muslims love to rip Christians over this issue to make fun of us. And like I say, they will team up with Jews to do it. But God is three persons in one God. God is three persons in the Godhead. God is a triune, eternal being. Father, Son and Spirit. When a person is saved, Almighty God, Father, Son and Spirit, lives in such a person and will never leave you nor forsake you. John's already told you that you don't need to be taught this, you already know this. And also Paul told you from Romans chapter one. Moses mentions it from uh, book of Exodus chapter 20 that if you have another God or a false God, an idol, if you corrupt the image of the incorruptible God, Romans chapter one, you are now a hater of God. And if you continue down this path to destruction, going back to Proverbs, you become a companion of fools, you become spiritually destroyed. Because God won't wear it. He puts up with the sins of his children, but when it comes to those that are saved, and I'm being gracious now, and yet are attacking the very nature of God, and will not be corrected, will not repent. Those people are enemies of the cross. They are serving the God being their belly. Their belly is their God. They are serving themselves. They're like kings, you see. They are like emperors. They're like little gods. Going back to the Mormon belief, how one day they can become godlike. And those people are to be uh, marked out and the body of Christ is to be warned. Romans 1 says, you know better but you don't want to receive it. You want to reject it. And if you want to destroy yourselves, that's up to you. If you want to become a spiritual shipwreck, that's up to you. But for those of us which are saved, for those of us which love the Lord, for those of us which love the Trinity, we will stand firm on the rock of all ages. We will defend the nature of God. We will use the scripture to prove unequivocally how God is three and yet one, one and yet three. And yet again, we don't need to do this because you already know this to be so. So in some ways we are making, or I'm making a video such as this, in some ways to not only deal with the heretics out there and some of their disciples, but to also deal with the Muslims who like to use spurious arguments against Trinitarians and also the Jews like to uh, line up and give us a good kicking. This is going to continue, I think. The nature of God will, will continue to be challenged and attacked, and those of us which are saved 
and know we are saved and are standing on the Word of God, written and also living, we'll have to stand in the gap and take a defence for the nature of God and also how we are saved and also concerning the Word of God. And before I sign out, I want to give you just two more verses. Uh, Matthew 28, please. Uh, Matthew 28. And these verses are very difficult for oneness people to correctly exegete. 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Go into all the world, baptizing those that are repentant in the name, singular, of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Three persons, with three personalities. Go to Second uh, Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 13. Not three parts. Not the plurality of majesty. Three persons. 2 Corinthians 13. Look at verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. A final Trinitarian commission, a wonderful Trinitarian commission, dealing with, again, Father, Son and Spirit. And either you receive it or you reject it. You are the four, the triune nature of God Almighty, or you are not. If you're not in favour of the triune nature of the Lord, you are in the camp of the cults. The Muslims, and also the Jews. And how do you feel about that? Those of you which say you are Bible believers. You become so blinded, deceived, that you now are idolatrous, basically. And like I say, if you don't repent of it, you risk losing your millennial inheritance. The worst part of this, of course, is that people that are now anti the Trinity whether the JWs, the Oneness, or the Modalists, those people that have platforms to teach and preach are preaching a damnable gospel, Galatians chapter 1, an accursed gospel. And Paul says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, let him be anathema, let him be anathema, maranatha. Amen. Paul's putting a curse on you. This is how serious it is, you see. Aaron was guilty of idolatry, died prematurely. Solomon was guilty of idolatry, died prematurely. Saul was guilty of idolatry and sinned as a result of that and died prematurely. My friends, if you are attacking the nature of God, quit it. Repent. And I'd also ask you to apologize publicly for what you are doing. And if you are supporting churches, ministries, groups that are anti-Trinitarian, 
whether financially, look out because the Lord is going to hold you accountable. Without your money, these groups, these churches, these ministries could not survive like the Jehovah's Witnesses, like the Mormons, like the Oneness Pentecostals. It's what keeps these groups going. That being your money, of course, and your support. So, I've said enough, and I will sign out now, and Lord willing, return next week, and look at the third and final parts of the wonderful study, looking at the nature of God, who He is, what He is, and also I want to look at the question as to whether or not the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. An interesting subject, but we'll save that for next week. May the Lord bless you all, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen and Amen.